Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting edition of KMA Talk Radio, live from quarantine. We hope you are staying safe out there. Welcome to another exciting edition uh, of KMA Talk Radio. I'm Adam K. the Brewmeister. With me, of course, as always, the man, the myth, the legend, the hero himself, Mr. Honest Abe. And is he muted? Abe, you might be muted. Did you mute yourself? There you go. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> oh hey, hey, welcome you to the show. You scared the crap out of me. Good I thought morning. it was my fault. Good morning. <laughs> and, of course, uh, the best we can afford, Mr. Paul, the producer. Hello, Paul. Cheers. Drinking out of my uh, Walt Disney World vintage mug. you know. Drinking cause... out of my personal named mug. Hey, there you That's go. It. Who got Happy your call. personal named mug? Uh, my buddy Jason got me this K-mug for me. Oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we have Casey Audelani posted as soon as we went live. Yes, my life has meaning today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we and of course, exciting... uh, our very special nature maker for this week, uh, a man we have often uh, talked about, referred to, but <laughs> are very pleased to welcome as a guest uh, once again, Mr. Skip Martin of Romacraft Tobacco. Skip, welcome back to KMA to Talk Radio. Thank you. I'm g- I'm glad to be here. Yes, I think, I think Skip Martin could be our most talked about guest of all time on KMA Radio, and has appeared the least on KMA Radio. Uh, <laughs> I think that's probably going without saying. Yes, absolutely, 110. percent Well, I had hoped to do my the first uh, show in the new studio, so maybe we'll still do that. But that I was my want, plan. Yeah, I still want to too. I mean, technically, it probably would have been close to being open by now had all the. Uh, catastrophe go down but it is well, not going to yes yeah, well, not well when you showed me the design you you already had it planned in there to have these guys social distanced <laughs> <laughs> that was by design yeah that was right. just for his sake <laughs> right yeah skip when you, you were know, on... we didn't know what social distancing was at the time that was the overall thought yes paul skip. needs to be well distanced from abe and from myself <laughs> yes when you were when you were on in the past, you you called in though, right? You didn't come in live. Yeah, I think I was in Panama. Actually, I was on a work trip for Dell. Um, I, I worked for about six months in Panama. I, I remember calling you from a from a hotel room in in the middle of Panama. It was like five in the morning, I think. Oh, geez. Well, yeah. so then this isn't that early for you then. Yeah, this is uh, this is pretty early for me. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, that knows me. Yeah, so you're also in Houston now, if I'm not mistaken, and which is your home base when you're not in Nicaragua. And Texas is one of those states that has just reopened. Have you seen any changes occur now that you know the state's kind of opened in the last couple of days? Uh, I'm actually in Austin. Okay, that's um, close enough. It's like uh, <laughs> it's like a little. They call it the People's Republic of Austin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a little blue island in the middle of Texas. Um, but actually, I think I think I saw last night we only we've only had about fifteen hundred positive tests and something like fifty one deaths. So mm-hmm. Austin's been pretty pretty good shape. Um, yeah. So the Governor Abbott's order extended to all the cities. The mayors obviously had their the ability to to do their own yeah. thing. But um, I you know I, it's one of these deals where I think it's. You know, Governor Abbott. You know, he's a, he's a really conservative guy, but he's also very pragmatic, and he's just a good leader. So he's, um, you know, he basically said, you know, I just want people to do. I want to give the responsibility to the people instead of me making the decisions for everybody. So 
if you're old, if you're sick, stay in your house, which applies to me, <laughs> right? Um, uh, and then, and then um, you know, be careful um, when you go out and if you're going to open up your restaurant or your business or whatever, um, you know, do the right thing. And so, you know, it's a funny thing when you, when you, when you make people responsible for their own behavior, they, a lot of times they step up to the, you know, to do the right thing. So um, today, Saturday is officially the first day where businesses can be open. So I haven't really experienced any change. I probably won't be going out much. I've just been, I've been here since May 25th and we went straight from the airport to here and between here and the office. Um, Sean that works for me kind of does all of our little errands and everything. So, um, you know, I haven't been out much. Okay. Now we do have... we do we do laps around the the block, me and Fiorella, <laughs> But you you've been there since since April twenty fifth. You mean? Uh, I think he means March twenty fifth or March March. 25th. March. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now yeah, now so now I just opened Saturday. You mean today Saturday or last week Saturday? Today. Mm-hmm. It, it the 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 um whatever they called it the the shelter in place ended on Friday at midnight. So and, and you you don't it, have any it, plans of going out. I mean, no, you've been pretty quarantined. Not really. Yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, when Arlen goes to the grocery store or when Fiorella goes over to Danny's house, Danny has like twenty five kids, so Fiorella's been going over there, um, you know, the last couple of days. But they've been not pretty isolated, so we've just kind of basically widened our circle a little bit. Uh, but I don't really foresee. Letting too many people, like for example, at our headquarters, uh, we, we had a shipment come in uh, on on yesterday on Friday, and so everybody was working. And so, um, you know, one of the things is even though we're kind of back here, we're not really letting any. Our, our headquarters has kind of become like a hangout for a lot of people, so um, they stop by very frequently. And so we've just basically said, the UPS guy can come in the back door, the FedEx guy can come in the front door, nobody else is allowed in. Oh wow. Are you are you worried about catching COVID? Are you in the the same boat as as some of us that are in that high risk category? Well, I have congestive heart failure, so okay, um, so, oh. so yeah, yeah. When I when I was sick in in, in uh, Nicaragua, it damaged my heart. It's managed with drugs and uh, you know my healthy lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I, I imagine I probably wouldn't fare. You know, I've been in the ICU for thirty days. I have no desire to go back oh. to one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, here in Florida, they well actually in 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 our county, Florida itself is kind of slowly opening, going into what they call phase one of opening. But our county, which is Palm Beach County, um, Miami Dade County, and and Miami Dade, yeah, Yeah. they they are not we're not included in that that first phase opening except for parks. So they've they've opened parks here as of Wednesday, but other than that, courses on Monday. Yeah, and then so you guys, Abe, you guys have been doing uh, what curbside or just online or what? We've been just closed, on- just online, just online. Yeah. We've been closed since March twenty sixth. So could yeah. could you change that if you wanted to? Well, a couple of my locations could open under the current law because liquor stores gotcha. are considered essential businesses, and our liquor licenses enable us to sell liquor by the bottle. We just closed just for safety precautions because right. we we really didn't know what kind of shitstorm was really ahead and what was coming. 
Um, so we just figured better safe than sorry. We kept the online business going in a very limited fashion, like only two guys have been coming in, you know, um, and uh, that stayed very busy. But all our retail doors are closed. Now, one of our locations is actually not in any one of those three counties. So technically tomorrow he can open up and actually have 25 percent capacity of people sitting in his lounge. I, I don't see people lounging that right. very quickly. You know, um, uh, I think we're going to open the doors, let them come to the register. We, we've been going to the human orders to get what they want, bring it back to the register, do the transaction. The guy walks out the door. We sanitize the area and wait on the next customer as such. So I yeah. think I think that's how we're going to end up opening up. And then our hours are even limited. You know, all our shops will be closing at 6 p.m., you know, where they normally would close at 8 and the bars like till midnight or 2 a.m. And I just think we're going to keep moving it in increments as we see how things fare. You know, I think it's yeah, going I think, I I think to be a long time. Only- yeah, I think it's going to be a long time before you're going to have 150 people at your bar on a Friday night. I just don't see that happening until there's either a cure or a treatment uh-huh. that they know is working. I don't see that happening. You know, so, it's the weirdest. It's the weirdest thing. It's like, um, I mean, we haven't been doing a lot of testing, but. You know, from everything I've read, somewhere around 35, 40 percent of the population could have already, could have already had had been a carrier of, of the actual virus. Right. And it actually it doesn't really manifest into any kind of real illness to a small percentage. Right. Mm-hmm. And then even a very much smaller percentage of that actually gets really sick. The problem is one of the things they said is just like every germ, kids are the the easiest transmitters you and they get they don't get sick right but they they carry the germ so they're like little petri dishes that that go out and pick it up and then come back into your life so you know that's that's the thing is you don't really know when a guy walks into your store when a guy uh kind of you know i was at the dumpster last night uh throwing some stuff away and the guy from the place next to me started walking towards me i'm like whoa whoa you know i don't know i don't know where you've been (laughs) So, yeah, some people just aren't conscious of what six feet is. I, I've I've limited myself to going up. I've had to stop and get gas or whatnot. And, you know, it's like or I've gone up to a counter and then somebody I, I could feel them edging behind me and they're like getting too close. They just don't have a, a listen, sense of, of where six feet is. Dude, when we, we when we flew out of Nicaragua, which was like, a, you know, an escape, because I think we left like two days before they actually shut everything down. We're on this flight, you know, we're in first class and um, we're in like the second row. I'm in, you know, one side and Fiorella and Arlen in the other side. And this guy in the in the front, our flight had been delayed. And you know how when flights get delayed, guys just get loaded, right? Yeah. So this, this gringo guy is sitting in the first seat and he's loaded. So I'm, I have my earphones on and, and I see him like kneeling down talking to Fiorella. And I'm like, whoa, dude, back up. So then he starts drunk talking me, you know, like close talking me. And I'm like, get out of my face. And I, and I'm telling the uh, the the purser, I'm like, hey, can can you get this guy? So this guy, from the second we landed, he followed me around the airport in Houston trying to apologize. I'm oh like, dude, God. just stay away. Yeah, people have no clue. Yeah. And, and how old is Fiorella? Three. 
All right, CC, you're a little bit safer because she she she's not in school yet. Are you? Is she getting any kind of program you got her? Where she goes? Yeah, she's in Montessori school in Nicaragua. Obviously, not right now, but um. yeah. Because I mean, if if school starts in August, which I'm assuming the the world's not going to be any safer in August, right? Knock on wood. Uh, I'm just assuming it's not going to be that much safer. I think our virus will still be out there. I don't think they're going to have a treatment or a vaccine by August. Right. But, you know, if schools start up, I got four kids going to school. Right. You know, it's like it's like well, the, I think I, I feel think like I feel shape. like I'm, I'm chumming the waters for viruses. Just <laughs> yeah. To bring yeah. Home. Yeah. Well, one one positive thing, I think that the the weather has a big impact on, it. you know, it's like colder regions seem to have more of a problem than than the warmer regions. Right. So we'll see, man. I mean, who knows? I mean, like at the end of the day, you can't, you know. I think it was smart to do what, what we did as a country. I don't think the government handled it well, but I think it was smart to do it the way we did it. It probably should have been more serious in some places and less in other places. Right. And I think, you know, I think the whole goal was we didn't want to be Italy, right? So we didn't want to get our hospitals overwhelmed. So we, we accomplished that goal. Uh, now we have to start unraveling that. And I think the the phased approach that they're talking about where they're going to watch new cases and if you get new cases uh, that they're developing into, uh, you know, more more illnesses, then they're going to, you know, pull, peel back the the kind of restrictions a little bit. But um, I don't know. I think it's okay. going to I, I think it's going to change our kind of life uh, for the next five, ten years. And I think in two years, it may be a different thing. In three years, it may be a different thing, like it always has been. But I think just as a society, we're going to have to figure out how to deal with it without, you know, $7 trillion worth of, you know, stimulus every time. Right, right. Very valid. Um, Skip, if I can just sidebar for one moment, I have a one thing I have to ask Paul currently. Uh, okay. Paul, yeah. for the last four weeks, or maybe five, at least five, definitely five weeks, because we've now done five of these remote shows, you've been wearing the KMA t-shirt yeah. and not your KMA polo. Correct. Is there a reason behind this? Uh, other than comfort, no. Uh, you know, I... you suspect Adam suspects he doesn't fit in the polo anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just going with that a little bit, a little bit, no. Little I... bit. That's where Adam's going with mm-hmm. this. Oh, no, He's no, trying no. to throw it out there. No, no, no. The, the polo is probably bigger than the T-shirt. The T-shirt's a little form-fitting right now. Luckily, you can only see me from the chest up. But yeah. I, are you I, currently you know, wearing pants, though, Paul? Or are they buttoned? I'm wearing <laughs> uh, like workout shorts. Mm-hmm. But but I'll tell you this. So elastic I'll, band I'll is the, what we're going with here? Yeah, but I'll jump on the scale. I'll I'll bet you I've lost weight being being home all this time. Crazy. <laughs> Bullshit. I'm pretty sure I've I'm pretty sure I've lost weight. The stress of having a newborn and a one and a half year old in the same house and not being able to like just get away for five minutes in my you know it's 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 different for Abe one because his kids are older and the and the older kids help I think he <laughs> it, and and he has a much bigger house than I do so there's like a room he could go to where they're not. I don't really have that. You know, I have like a, a 1600 square foot house. So Dude, even if I go okay, to listen, a room. First off, first off, <laughs> when you have four kids, there's no room you can go to where they're not. <laughs> okay. I mean, the bathroom, my, the bathroom's about the only listen, Oh man. My, it's, that's my listen, saving grace. My son sits outside the door right now. <laughs> Leave it to me. Yeah. My son, I, I, I know he's going to have a hard time, 
when when things go back to semi normal because my son now thinks like I mean I guess I don't know because I guess summer I'm home no because summer I still work yeah. it's, there's never yeah. been there's never been a point in his existence where I've been home every day for five weeks none of my kids have ever seen that right <laughs> right so. So he's been loving it. He wants to sleep next to me. He wants to wake up. This these past couple of this this week, I've been coming to work. You know, in the beginning, I stayed home a lot, and then you know, we're starting to get ready and do some things. So I've been coming to work. He's come with me every day, right? <laughs> he, he's here now. I'm I'm in the shop now, broadcasting because I bought my computer back to the shop. He's out. He's here right now. Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's he's gonna have a hard time when 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 you know I start going to work and he can't come with anymore because we're open and school starts, but. He's been loving life, and I, I ain't gonna lie to you. I, I've been loving it too. I mean, I've been how, never... how old? How old is he? He's five, man. But oh, he's yeah, yeah. he's a different kind of five. The kid cracks me up. I mean, he's just he's a good. Fiorella is a different kind of three. So Fiorella had is used to, or Arlen's used to having. Uh, we have a, a nanny in Nicaragua, and so um, every day Fiorella calls. She she has her iPad, so she does FaceTime. So she calls everybody all day long. Yeah, <laughs> she, calls her, she calls her sister in Nicaragua. She calls the nanny. She calls her grandma. So it's pretty funny. Um, she tells her like, I, she, like I've had enough of of mom and dad. Um, you, you'll never guess what she did. You'll never guess what he did. You know, catch them up on all the gossip. How often do you? I mean, you have a you have a home in Nicaragua. How often? How much time do you spend in Nicaragua versus Austin? Well, I mean, I'm. Normally, I come back to Austin every five or six weeks for a week or two. Okay. Um, so I, you know, I'm I'm probably eighty percent of the time, seventy percent of the time in Nicaragua. I mean, that's where we live. Um, Arlen, you know, Arlen only has a tourist visa, so you know, you we can't spend more than certain certain amount of time here every year. So, and they probably only come with me about half the time. And for those who are not forsaken, Arlen is your wife. She's my girlfriend. Girlfriend, yeah, baby mama, whatever. Yeah, baby mama. It's a sensitive subject. It's a sensitive subject. I was going to say you can solve this very easily. I mean, you can get a K one visa. She can be here for ninety days and just get married in that amount of time. And you know, everybody thinks it's that easy, but it's really not that easy. Mm -hmm. No, I have some friends that did it. It's actually a long, arduous process, and it's. If you're from Nicaragua, it's even harder. Is that why is that? because I mean, if you're coming from Canada or Germany or something, it's a different story, right? Than if you're coming from Pakistan or Nicaragua. Okay. Ah, uh, okay. Interesting. All right. Interesting. I didn't even think of it. That now way. we've all learned a very much more about Skip Martin in this very short amount of time. <laughs> now, Skip, you mentioned something on your Facebook, which I mean, if you don't want to talk about, it, we don't have to, but it's kind of uh, along this line. I'll talk about whatever. Cool. So it's a it's along these lines. You had posted an article saying that um, the that Americans that are whose spouses are not citizens and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, spouses are not citizens do not qualify for the stimulus check. No, not exactly. Um, so there's a thing in in so there's a thing called a, a ITIN, which is a taxpayer identification number. Yep. And and. Th- the biggest use of it, to be completely honest, there's about a million and a half people in the United States or maybe even more that use it. But look, let's say you work at a meatpacking plant and you're an illegal immigrant uh-huh. and the meatpacking plant, um, you can actually get put into jail for not paying your taxes. Right. Even so if you're not the, a citizen. So, right. So the IRS has a, a, a process where you can get a taxpayer identification number, uh, even if you're not 
a citizen, even if you're here illegally, mm-hmm. so that you can pay your taxes. And there's actually a law that says that the, that's confidential, that the IRS can't give that information to the INS because oh, okay. it's, it's counterproductive to – it would be counterproductive <laughs> to not collect taxes, right? Right, right. So, so – but, but probably about 30 percent of the people who use it – um, use it because they're students who are earning money and need to pay taxes. Yeah, or, I've, wor- I've like, worked with guys that have done that. Like that in Arnold's case, she doesn't have social security number, but she does earn income in the United States. For example, she has a bank account here. She earns interest. So technically, she's supposed to pay taxes on that interest, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Whatever. So if, if I filed jointly with her um, and she was on my tax return, then me and Fiorella, who are citizens – wouldn't be eligible for stimulus because someone on my joint tax return has an ITIN. So instead of a social security. Okay. Right. So it has nothing to do with whether she can get stimulus. It has to do with the other people that are on the tax return being. A, so essentially what it is, is and, and by the way, it's not new. It was in the 2008 uh, stimulus package and the 2008 stimulus bill was really just duplicated you know, they didn't just they don't just write thousand page bills, right? So it was duplicated and things were added to it. So it was a holdover from something that happened under Obama. But the provision basically is in there to keep people who are not citizens from getting a stimulus payment of any kind, even if the stimulus is going to citizen, you know, family members. So it's kind of a screwed up thing. You know, it's just it's just an example, you know. There's so many. It's a thing. It's like uh, cigar regulation. They try to regulate things and do things that they don't understand. Uh-huh. And and what happens is things are so complicated in our economy and in our country that when they try to pass these laws, there's these cases of things that they do intentionally or unintentionally that that are just bad law. Like, um, you know, like and they try to regulate cigars without understanding what a cigar is or how it's made or you know, um, you can't test a cigar. Uh, they still haven't been able to successfully test one. So um, you can't put a testing requirement in the law for something you can't test. But, but, you, but you know, in situations like this, because there's been a lot of criticism, right? Um, they really didn't have a lot of time to put stuff together. You know, like a lot of times I try to put stuff together last minute where there even just be a promotion from our website, right? And we didn't think of everything going through and we realized it after the fact, right? I mean, a lot of this legislation was really put together like on the fly, right? So yeah, I mean, a good example of that is the PPP, right? So the Paycheck Protection Program was really – Marco Rubio, I think, was one of the primary drivers for it. And it was a very well thought out thing. And the, the thought process was, hey, we're about to shut down. We're, we're, we're about a week away from it or a week into it, however you want to look at it. And all these people that work for these small businesses, you know, they're going to get they're going to get laid off and they're going to go on unemployment. And if that happens, then they may never or it may take them a long time to get a job when things come back to normal in a month and a half. It makes no sense for for these people to to be out of a job and then have to go through the process of finding a job again. So it's better to keep them employed. And the major the major employer in the United States are businesses with less than 500 employees. And so what they wanted to do, they didn't. I think people think that the PPP was meant to help small businesses. It kind of is in a way, but really what it was is saying like, look, Abe, you have you know. 
stores. You have less than 500 employees. We don't want you to let all of these people go, have them go to unemployment because they're going to stay on unemployment for four months. And then when you need to start your place back up again, you're going to have a hard time getting them back. So what we're going to do is we're going to subsidize their payroll for the next eight weeks so that so that you can uh, keep them on the payroll, even if they're not working. Right. And so the problem is, is by the time it actually all got figured out and funded, the, the, the bank's you know, played favorites, the big guys applied for the money. It's like the, it's like the millionaire showing up at the food bank to get the free food and, and being able to cut the VIP line. You know what I mean? And so, um, you know, I think they wanted to do the right thing. Hopefully what they'll do, and hopefully we won't go through a lot of these types of situations, but hopefully what they'll do is they'll learn lessons and, you know, do things better next time. Yeah, well, that, that historically is not too proven. Um, <laughs> right. Yes, history does not repeat itself, unfortunately. You, you know, you mentioned retail and business, and you know, um, kind of get off the, what's going on because I'm sure everybody all over social media Take has been talking. Of, right, right. That's all I've been doing. I mean, everybody knows the Roma Craft Skip Martin, right? I mean, that's kind of when you come on the scene in the world. But uh, I'd like to go back to days before you got into Roma Craft because you got a, interesting stories, right? You you served in the military, so thank you for your service. Wait, oh, what? I didn't know that. I did not know yeah. that. Thank you, Skip. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah so, um, please go into that. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I grew up with my sister. Both of my parents died when I was younger. I grew up with my sister who was 18 years older than me, and she's, she's pretty dysfunctional. And then when I was 14, I got emancipated. So I, I actually lived on my own uh, in my own apartment when I was 14. And, wow. um, and um, had three jobs, four jobs uh, at some times during, during my junior and senior year of high school. And is then it, I actually go ahead. Is it, is it true that you were the youngest person ever emancipated in Texas? No, I'm sure. No, 14 is a normal age. Is the is a normal age for okay. people to be? Yeah, I, I heard that somewhere. I wasn't sure if that was fact or not. No, I mean it. It is the earliest you can be emancipated. Okay. Um, but you know, mm. so there's probably thousands and thousands of people who, who, you know, at 14. But like I was signing leases and had a checking account and and, um you know, could sign legal documents and stuff when I was At 14. 14. So, wow. I so, was lighting um, things on fire in my backyard. <laughs> yeah. So when I and was pot on a roof at 14. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I played baseball um, and um, I was pretty good. I was, you know, um, played American Legion ball, pretty high level. And then uh, I went to college on a scholarship, ended up going to a couple of different colleges and then went into the Navy. Uh my my roommate in college I played ball with went into the Navy and I guess he got some kind of points if I would go talk to his recruiter and take a test or whatever. So I ended up going to nuclear power school, which is uh, which is, you know, one of the tougher programs in the Navy. Um, I, I did really well, went to prototype in South Carolina and then ended up going to a submarine in Norfolk um, right at the beginning of the. Uh, the uh, kind of Bosnia Herzegovina thing. My boat oh, was already wow. deployed to that. So, th- oh. so um, you know, my first month on the boat, um, you know, we're shooting cruise missiles into <laughs> whatever, and then we would go to the other side uh, uh, to the Persian Gulf and shoot missiles for Bill Clinton's. You know, every time Bill Clinton got, <laughs> news, we'd go to the other side and shoot missiles at uh, at Iraq to enforce the whatever we were enforcing there. So. 
um, I did, I did that. And then, um, my boat got reassigned to Pearl Harbor and, uh, I got out of the Navy at that point, uh, finished, uh, my reactor principles, uh, degree in, at uh, old dominion. Then I went to, uh, Chicago. I started a business. I went, went to Chicago, um, worked in the financial world, got my MBA at uh, Northwestern. And then, um, after that, um, my wife's parents got sick uh, at the time. They lived in Round Rock, and uh, so we moved back to Round Rock. One of my clients was uh, uh, an executive at Dell, and he got me a, a job down there. And then um, um, I, did, I did Dell for about 13, 14, 14 15 years, and uh, in there I started a store. Uh, store was hit by a hurricane, and then I kind of started working with Mike and we okay, started. Hold on. Hold on. You, you, you're going oh, too fast. You're there's there's fast. way too many things yeah, here. Yeah. I got a couple of different questions yeah, going on here. Yeah. I just want to touch on something too, that he just like glanced over. Mm-hmm. Right now you developed something while you were in the Navy that basically a piece of technology that, that you ended up working on after you had left the Navy. Right. It, it kind of set that career forward for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was actually in the Navy, um, we got one of these, uh, you know, real big flatbed scanners, one of the very first ones, uh, so they could um, scan navigational charts. And um, one of my kind of collateral duties was I worked in the, the log room. Uh, I was the log room yeoman for the engineering division. So um, long story short, I had to put in logs every day uh, into the computer. And I, you know. Hours of work. Hours, hours and hours, hours and hours of work. Mm-hmm. So, so in, in, in a submarine, you know, not anymore, but back then you would go around and you would look at a gauge and you'd go, okay, this half hour, it's 72 degrees. And then you'd look at a pressure and this half hour, the water levels at this or whatever. And so there would be 24 hours of logs from six different watch stations. And I would have to enter those by hand into a database and then send them to naval reactors. So me and a buddy figured out how to actually scan these handwritten logs and turn them into data that went straight into the database. So I did the math. He did the computer work. Um, but after we got out of the Navy, we kind of turned that into um, a, a process where we would scan W-2s and legal forms and medical forms and all kinds of other stuff. And we would store documents and scan documents. And, and you know, one thing led to another. We sold the, the big part of the business to Iron Mountain. And then I moved to Chicago, and then I ended up selling my patents to um, Xerox. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, so that helped. That helped. Uh, that helped me get off on the right foot. <laughs> but honestly, Ding. but Ding. honestly, uh, that wow. was ninety. That was ninety seven, ninety eight, and. If you if you know what was going on in the stock market, I lost about a million and a half, two million dollars in about about three months. So, I, <laughs> so what what I did was I took all the money that was left over and I put it in the bank and I didn't touch it for you know twenty years. So um, really, you know, mo- mostly the only thing I got out of that back then was you know losing a lot of money. <laughs> but but uh, fortunately, I did pretty well in Chicago. I did well at Dell and. Um, and then 20 years passed pretty – in about 2017, it kind of, you know, like a big insurance policy. So, no, Skip no, – uh, oh, Go ahead. Go ahead, Adam. Okay. All right. Skip, you mentioned you went to Northwestern. You got your MBA. Oh, uh, yeah. 
Is deep dish pizza better than New York style pizza? Why do we let him talk? <laughs> um, you I'm know, just going to throw it out there. Come on. This is a man from Houston, so I, from I, I Austin, from a I Texas man. I Tell me once again, uh, Chicago style is better. Come I on, lived deep in Chicago dish. for about four years, and I could tell you, like, we would maybe four or five times we go down and get deep dish pizza, but most of most people in Chicago don't eat deep dish pizza. Oh, Abe, is that true? No, no. <laughs> I mean, it is, I mean, if you live downtown, like you go to Gino's East or no. you go to Uno. Gino's East is the two tourist spot, and so yes, so is there, Uno's. There was a place out in uh, St. Charles where where we lived that Saint was Charles. really good. Holy cow! Way out there. All right, now can we get back on tangent? Are you, are you yeah, done, Adam? Fine. I wanted to get on the pizza. I'm sorry. All yeah, this, I, I'm so interested about this this story. All pizza is good. All pizza is good. Well, well, so I mean, so so we, you're done with with this now technology thing. How did you get into retail? Because most people don't even know that you had a retail shop and you were in cigar retail. Right. Yeah. So. Um, we had a house down in Galveston and we would go down to Galveston on, you know, on the weekends or, you know, once a month or twice a month. Beautiful and there. I would have to stop in, in Webster to go to a, uh, to a cigar store because there wasn't really any, the, the place that was down in Galveston, we, we used to call it a moldador because it had carpet in the, in the humidor and it had one of those old Sears, big cabinet kind of humidifiers. And the whole place was just like a, a, a fungus. So, um, <laughs> So it was horrible, you know, um, and so we uh, – so a friend of mine – long story short, a friend of mine started a cigar shop before it ever opened. He was fighting with his partner. I, I said, look, if you sell me cigars at cost, I'll I'll consult for you. And then one thing led to another. I ended up owning it. So um, Now you had a partner too, yeah, or no? Yeah, uh, the guy that was his partner. Um, okay. Yeah. We, now, uh, how long were you in retail? Um, two years. It was from 2000, February 2006 till the hurricane, which was September 2018, I think. So let me ask a question. How did you, how did you enjoy doing retail? I really liked it. I mean, to be honest with you, you know, looking back, um, you know, at that time I was learning a lot about cigars. So, I mean, I knew a lot as a consumer. I've been a consumer for, um, Decades. I mean, I, I bought my first cigar in, at at Emerson's in in Military Circle Mall in like '92, right? So, uh, and then I had a I had a great tobacconist in, in Virginia. I had a great tobacconist in in Chicago, um, Diana Silvis. And then when I moved to uh, Austin, I had a, a great family that owned a the Haas family that owns the stores here. And so I had learned everything I could kind of learn as a consumer. And I've been, you know, been on trips and stuff. And then, um, you know, I was like, hey, you know, now that I'm in the retail business, it was like a whole new cycle of learning. And so while I was learning and, and building those relationships and things, and I still had my normal job. So it was like still kind of like an escape. And plus, you know, even though I had an MBA, um, I had a, a nuclear engineering degree and then I did finance and I got my my MBA but I, re- I realized when I when I had the business, the small business, that I didn't know basic shit about running a business. <laughs> I mean, things like bookkeeping. I had no idea because I never took those accounting classes like that. I just went straight to you know doing. Uh, you could always hire people for that. I, I'm yeah. more curi- I'm more curious. 
were you were you hands on? Were you in the store a lot? Yeah, yeah, I, I lived down there mostly, um, and I would work work my Dell job remotely. I mean, I traveled a lot for Dell, but um, I w- every you know our most of our business because it was an island. Most of our business was Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So I would usually go down, drive from Austin on Thursday, and then come back on Sunday. But through the summer and stuff, I would stay down there most of the time. That's funny because I just can't, I have a hard time seeing you retail, right? Because a lot of people make mistakes. And I see it, right? Even guys who are enthusiasts or get in the cigar business, and you know, I tell I tell them either before or even sometimes after, man, you're not cut for retail because, you know, you're a pretty vocal guy and you're a pretty smart guy. And the problem is when you're a really smart guy, you got to deal with a lot of people who are not as smart. And you're well, the you know, you're the you know what? Like to let people know when they're wrong, and I like, and that's just not a retail retailer friendly. I mean, you, I got to bite my tongue a lot, right? <laughs> well, I mean, you do. Right? I mean, back right? back then, Long you customers got, you, and stuff like that, and you got to realize back then it was George Bush was president. I didn't really have an issue with George Bush, and really it was just making fun of Hillary, which everybody liked to do. So there was no, it wasn't the same as it is today. And you know, you you can you know, I was a very good retailer. I was great at building new customers because when I came to Galveston. There really was no premium cigar scene, and sales reps wouldn't even come down there. They would stop in Houston. They wouldn't even come to Galveston. I had to go to uh, the trade show, and Mickey Pegg will tell you this story. I don't know if Mickey's watching or if he's in the chat room, but I don't even know if Mickey remembers this story. But Brian McGee was my CAO sales rep, and uh, I could not – so we were ordering everything through Great Discoveries, which was a distributor – and, and this is the first month or two. But then people like uh, 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 Piros Indios and Tarano, Armando from Tarano, these guys would – and Gurkha, uh, Craig uh, from, from Indy Cigar, back then was the president of Gurkha. So they would come, and they were desperate for accounts. They, as soon as we pulled a tobacco license, they were down there going, hey, we'll open an account for you. So that's great. But if I wanted to get Camacho or Rocky Patel or Fuente or any of that – I had to go through great discoveries. So we were selling tons and tons and tons of uh, of the cigars that nobody wanted to buy. So Davidoff, I didn't want a white label account, but we were selling a shitload of Griffins and private stock. I didn't want it. I didn't want you know the highest level CAO stuff, but we were selling tons of flavors, and I didn't you know I didn't want to pay the extra ten percent markup. So trying to get the reps to come down was impossible. So I, I went to the my first trade show. We opened in February. I went to the trade show in, I think, June or July. Um, and maybe it was in Houston. Um, or where was it the year before Houston? I don't remember. That might have the been first Asheville, I want to say. Think it, I think it was in Vegas, and then it was in Houston. But I had been to the trade show a number of times. I mean, my first trade show was in the 90s in, uh, in Nashville. But... Um, I went up to the CAO booth and I said, uh, can I speak to Chano Osgar? And he's like, well, you know, he's pretty busy. I'm like, that guy over there, Brian McGee, who, who's his boss? And, and so he goes, he goes, well, it's Mickey Pegg. So I go up to Mickey Pegg and I was like, hey, your guy won't come to my store. Is he just killing it so hard that he doesn't need any new business? He's like, what are you talking about? So he brings Brian over there and then Tim, and then Tim Osgar comes over. And I got this book of charts like, you know, these are all the SKUs we sell for CAO. You know, this is what happens when we go direct. Da, 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 here's the growth. Can, can you just get the guy to come down and visit me and write an order every now and then? So uh, 
I did that to like 10 or 15 sales reps. But so I'm not saying I was loved by the sales reps. We have great relationships now. I mean, because what happened over time was because they don't have to sell you now. <laughs> but back then we killed it. <laughs> we killed it. We paid our bills. We, you know, we ordered when the stuff that sold and when it went out, we reordered it. You know, all the basic things of running a retail store. So, but, but you said something earlier. You said you didn't want to carry things that you had to pay an extra 10% margin. What do you mean by that? So when when I, we were ordering from Great Discoveries, we were paying, you know, kind of 10% or 15% over wholesale, you know, the distributor market. Oh. What if so I wanted, I wanted to order it? direct from what happens, your, what happens if your customers wanted the product? We were we were we were getting it, but I but I was losing margin. So okay. that's why I wanted the direct accounts. And, you know, I didn't even know how the whole system worked back then. You know, I remember way 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 back in the day, everybody got everything from distributors. They didn't get it from directly from the. When I got in this business here in Florida. Um, you couldn't buy from and no Florida account could buy directly from General Cigar Company. Really? Yeah, you had it was to go very, through a broker. Or oh, you guys don't call them brokers. No, no, man, it's even worse. It went through Mike's Cigars. Wholesale, yeah. Wait, yeah. wait. So another retailer. There was some kind of backdoor deal when this guy left Mike's. Uh, when this guy left Generals and bought Mike's or opened up Mike's Cigar, and um, basically they brokered a deal where the state of Florida was his. So if you wanted General product, you had to buy it through Mike's. Right. Oh, General, wouldn't open, General wouldn't open me up as a as an account, so I couldn't get any Macanudo, um, you know, any other brands back then. Partagas. Uh, what uh, year was that, Abe? Uh, I moved here is ninety. This is during ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine. It wasn't until they acquired Villazon because what happened was, right, right. I had already had a Villazon back then was Hoya de Monterey and Punch. That was that was a, a company called Villazon, and I had already had a direct account with Villazon. So when General acquired Villazon, well, they couldn't start telling me to go buy my Villazon not direct. I was already buying direct from Villazon. So that year, it kind of all fell apart, and General started opening up all Florida accounts. And that whole backdoor deal they had going on with Mike Cigars ended. But, yeah, it was it was weird back then. There were some setups like, you know, you couldn't get cigars direct. Well, I think there's a – I think that there is a big – I think there's a lot of opportunity for people to open really good cigar stores. The problem is, is the kind of people that kind of hang out in cigar stores all day long are not the kind of people that are going to be good at running cigar stores. No, I've always said that. Right. Um, So I think um, the the problem is if if you have the money to do it the right way and let's let's assume you need at least a million, a million and a half dollars uh, of credit at least. To open a cigar, you'd be stupid to do it on credit. But if you did it on credit, let's say a million, million and a half dollars to open a medium-sized store, um, you're not making money for a couple of years. You know, um, we did it. We did it really, really cheap. I mean, our rent was cheap, but everything was cheap. So what happened with that store? I got hit by a hurricane. <laughs> had ten feet of water in it. Did you not have insurance? No, man. When when windstorm and flood insurance was like forty seven thousand dollars a year. Or something. So I was like, you know, this place hasn't flooded since nineteen hundred. Right, right. It was a, yeah. yeah, it was a once in a lifetime storm. Yeah, but you know, at the end of the day, the day the hurricane hit, you know, I, I owed some people for terms accounts, and I paid them all off within a couple of months. And other than that, I you know, I never really you know, I kind of broke even. I didn't lose a ton of money, so. You paid for cigars that got damaged by the hurricane and washed away? They didn't get washed away. They just got flooded. So all the That's furniture, the, the you equipment. Paid for, 
you paid for cigars that just got damaged and you could never use. Yeah, I mean, I owed the people money. And, so. and, and knowing you knowing you weren't going to open up a retail shop again. No, but I knew I was going to do – I would plan to open another store in Austin. That was my original plan. Okay. Okay. But, um, but um, you know, so I knew I was going to be it's in commendable. It's commendable. Most people would have just taken off and be done. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Done. I lost. You know, I'm not paying anybody. I didn't get to use it. It's commendable. You know, the, the reactions were pretty varied, right? So um, I remember uh, like one example. Um, so uh, Maria Martin at that time was at Camacho, and um, – we were doing a lot of these private label things. Um, we were go- kind of going and buying lost and found stuff before a lot of people had even heard of that, right? So, so we were going in buying cigars that were kind of orphan prototypes or whatever. And they had, so I called Maria and I said, hey, you know, it's September. Um, we just got hit by the hurricane. I owe you $56,000. I'm going to pay you. Um, you know, even if I have to pay it in my own pocket, I'll pay it, you know, in a couple. I just need some time. She said, well, you have cigars here. Do you want me to send those to you? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, you know, so really her sending me, I think she sent me something like 30 or 40,000 cigars, which really kind of helped me get out, you know, get out of the hole because I was kind of selling them out of my house. And those cigars are the ones that we really were reblending, um, which became Cro-Magnon, which became Intemperance. Right. Um, but, uh, another company, I won't tell you who, Right. It's like we were supposed to have an event that Friday that the, the hurricane hit, and I think we owed them like uh, $9,000 or something. And um, when it was all said and done, I sent them a check for $9,374.27 or whatever it was. And then the rep calls me about five months later, and he says, hey, uh, so-and-so is calling me from the office. She says that you owe them uh, $97. And I'm like, I don't owe $97. I know exactly how much I owed. Like, uh, no, we had this in, and I sent him all the history, and I'm like, I don't know it. So then at the, this was Paul Costo, and his boss was Jack Sandlin. I don't know if you know Jack, but um, yeah, so forth. this goes back. And, so over $97, this goes back and forth like five times. And I'm like, look, if I owed it, I would pay it. And then finally Jack calls me. He goes, I'm just paying this shit out of my own pocket because she's not going to stop calling me about it. So, so on one hand, you know. You've got, hey, let me just send you some more cigars. And on the other hand, it's like, you know, where's my $97? Wow. <laughs> so it's pretty, you know, it's pretty crazy. Just round it up to 100, make it even 100. <laughs> right. Right. So, she, she just wanted her 97. Yeah. It's right. a funny, it's a funny. If I'd have sent her 100, it would have annoyed her even more, probably. <laughs> um, probably very much so, yes. You, you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So, yeah, so, you know, it's, it is what it is. There's, you know, what I've learned is that there's, you know, good and bad people and, and the this business is no different. So how did well, you transition? Oh, go ahead, Abe. Well, no, I mean, I, I, cause look, I've been, I, I've been on the other end of that shoe sometimes even now, right? Because even now, look, during this crisis, I, I don't call it good or bad people. I just call it good or bad business. Right. Yeah. I mean, because it, you it's know, just good if, or bad if, business. Like, if because, you're my customer, Abe, and you've done. Let's call it a hundred fifty thousand worth in the last two and a half years, right? And the last shipment I sent you was nine thousand dollars, and you, it all got destroyed by a hurricane. And I'm looking at the books, and you owe me ninety-seven bucks. I'm not even calling you. It's just good or bad business. I'm just telling right. you. Like even now, like during this crisis, we we closed on a dime. Like we decided on Wednesday, we're closing the door, and we closed Thursday, right? And 
we weren't prepared, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of intercompany stuff that happens that keeps a business going, right? right. So right. so my my office manager has to come back, get her files and her computer so she could work from home, right? So she but the invoices are coming to the shop. Now she can't enter them because somebody's got to get them to her house. Then she's got to enter them whenever they get there. Then she's got to print checks, but she's not leaving the house. So she's right. printing checks remotely, which then somebody's got to come and grab them and then bring them to my house and sign. So it all got a little complex, right? right. Normally, normally we cut checks every day whenever checks need to be cut. Now we're cutting checks on Wednesday, right? right? We're trying to get all our lines together, and every Wednesday we did a printout. The checks would come. I would sign it. would get to my house eventually. I would sign them, envelope, stamp them, put them out in the mail. But it slows our process down. And, you know, I had manufacturers calling us and, and saying, look, whatever you need. You need extra terms, you need whatever, what can we do? And whatever. And then I, literally we, we had people calling us because it was like three days the bill was past due and they were wondering where the payment was. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's I mean, the same thing. I mean, it's know, they, mind blowing. They, they themselves may have been having cash flow issues, right? So, they are. You know. They are. They are. I mean, look, that's why I don't take stuff like that personal, right? Because you, yeah. you don't know. But I mean, I mean, it wasn't a significant amount of money. That's why it was really right. funny. It wasn't even like. You know, ten, twenty thousand dollars was not even a thousand dollar bill, I think. And you know, I mean, I, I've always been the kind of guy like, uh, first of all, I don't lend money to people in general as a general rule of thumb. But if you ever do lend money to someone, and this includes extending terms to a customer, you're basically saying, um, I don't it's expect a possibility. To get paid. Yeah, it's a possibility. <laughs> right? oh. I, I learned right? I learned that the hard way, but yeah. And and then <laughs> and then and then the you know the thing is, it's like. Sometimes, you know, you give people a little bit of grease and then, you know, it, it's it's the running around chasing them that bothers me. It's like if I call you one time and you say, look, we're in the middle of an epidemic. I have this check thing going on. I got it. I, I owe you this amount of money. I know it's a couple of days past due. I will get a check out to you within the next 10 days. I'll try to do it sooner. Right. And, and, and that's all I want to hear. Right. But it, but then, you know, 10 days later, it's like, OK. I, I sent the check, and then and then 20 days later, it's okay. Can you put it on my personal credit card? Oh, that's declined. Then 20 days later, this is why we don't do we do, we don't do terms <laughs> because there's no faster way to ruin a, a a functional relationship than to than to start arguing over who owes money to you. So, so Skip, how did you go from so after the hurricane hit, the store is destroyed. You you decide not to go back into retail. How did you decide to to start Romacraft? So we had this cigar called the Coyones Three uh, One, which was uh, which it's one of these kind of lost and found things that that came out of the Camacho factory. It was an old, it was a it was original kind of national Maduro, but it was really kind of great broad leaf, and and at the end of the day, it was too expensive for the national brand. So there was like you know. 10 or 15,000 of them that they never put out in the market, they ended up doing a, a different blend and then selling national brand Maduros, which is, I think is a bundle cigar. Um, and so this cigar, which, which, which had seven, eight, nine years in the, in the humidor, um, had just been sitting there for years and years and years. It wasn't enough to sit, to sell to like JRs or something for a catalog. So it just sat there. So when I found them, Christian sold them to me, you know, and, um, when when I was going to open up the store in Austin, I wanted to recreate that cigar because there was literally none left. 
And so the only guy I knew that uh, knew how to procure tobacco and make sure that the supply chain worked and all that was Mike because he had his own brand. Then he worked out of Costa Rica. So he would go find tobacco, have it sent to Costa Rica. And it's, he actually made cigars in the same factory that Barani made cigars in. Um, that would be the Donald but, Douglas factory, yeah? Yeah, but Don Douglas was out of it by then. So yeah, there was another guy. Yeah, got it. Yeah. So there was another, by the time Mike started working there, it was that physical factory and that company, but it was, Don Douglas was not involved anymore. And so um, the, um, he tried to do a few things in Costa Rica for me. And I was like, you know, this just doesn't do anything. He's like, well, we don't have the kind of tobacco that you're looking for. So he knew a guy named um, uh, from Tessa Cigar, uh, Chris, um, Chris Kelly from Tessa Cigar. Do you know him, Abe? Yeah, Chicago. Yeah. yeah, so Chris Chris Kelly, um, his dad owned a factory and is, is that is that brand still around? I don't know. The factory's now like a bar. Okay. So, um, the but that was one of the, he was one of the very first kind of gringos in Nicaragua, right? So Mike was friends with him, and so Mike uh, Mike went to Nicaragua. Uh, at that time, Raul Disla was working for Mike. Uh, he had been working for Mike for six or seven years making cigars in stores. Raul Disla now is runs the Noxa factory and makes cigars for Asylum and for Saka and, and other people. But um, Raul's brother, Esteban, ran Scandinavia. Uh, he was the Jarenska the, the at Scandinavia Tobacco. He was actually there when it was Latin Cigar. He, he had started there for Fidel Olivas when it was like I don't know. Uh, Carlos Tarano moved him from the Dominican in 97. So th- there was like three or four pairs at that time. And, and then it became the largest factory in Nicaragua. So Chris, um, in between Chris and Esteban, they, they procured some tobacco, worked on some blends, came to me. Um, I sold like 100,000 of them in less than six months just to my old customers and friends. And then they were doing better than Mike's core brands. So um, you know, when we kind of ran out of tobacco at one point, I had to go down and make a really big commitment for tobacco. So at that point, I'm like, well, if I'm putting this kind of money in, maybe we ought to just start a whole business. And that became, well, maybe we need to start the factory, too, so Esteban can leave his job and we could do it the right way. So, you know, in 2010, we, we made our first cigars. 2012, we started Roma and Nico Sueño. In 2013, we built and opened up the new factory. So we've had the the we've been making Cro-Magnon since 2010, but we've only had the kind of the new factory since 2013. So Skip, here's a fun question for you: as a guy who went in the Navy, created a couple of patents, sold all these patents, why did you decide to give away all your money and go in the cigar industry? <laughs> Actually, I've never lost a penny in the cigar business. Wow. Okay. We've done, we've done really well since the very beginning. Um, but, you know, like kind of this thing that's going on right now. I mean, we probably have, you know, demand for two or three million cigars a year, and we only we only make about half of that. So um, why you know, not Skip, for us? Skip hasn't lost money because he doesn't play the chase game. He's very – the way he right. manufactures his cigars and buys tobacco – is concise but that's why he doesn't have normal production like most traditional guys are in this industry right brands are only rolled in certain quarters and whatnot but he keeps he's never chasing the cash flow because mm-hmm. most guys his size 
are playing the the cash flow game. It's just the constant struggle of keeping an inventory level to constantly supply cigars. But then if you're growing your business and you got to buy more tobacco and have more inventory on hand, it takes a long time before that you get to that point of profitability, sustainable profitability without constantly chasing cash. So that's, that, that's, that's why he's never, he's made money. Yeah. We we've done really well, actually millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> so it's not so bad. Um, but, you know, the thing is, is that still, even though, you know, we probably make as high in terms of grow, you know, net margin, we probably do two to three times what most other cigar companies do because we don't advertise. We don't have guys on the road. We don't take, pay a broker, a middleman. Um, we work directly with our stores from our office. We only have four employees. Um, they, they're all very, very, very well compensated. Uh, and we do profit sharing and all those things. But um you know like for example um you know we we get a shipment every 10 days normally and when a shipment comes in 85 90% of it is already on a, a, an open sales order some of those items are on there for 3 4 months ago some of those most of it probably more than half of it is is less than a couple of weeks old since the last shipment so uh what happens is the shipment comes in like uh Friday yesterday we got a shipment in of about 75,000 cigars um, it was about three and a half weeks worth. So, th- uh, that shipment came in, it hit today. Um, 90% of it is already sold. And even though a few customers said, Hey, can you move my sales orders out? Because I'm not open. Someone else scooped up that stuff because it was, you know, um, available. So, you know, we'll have our whole warehouse is actually pretty small, but it'll fill up. And then four or five days later, it's empty. And then we wait for the next shipment. So, um, what, what's, well, most of our inventory is in Nicaragua. So, you know, we, we keep cigars in the, in the Escaparate. So we do kind of a, a sweat instead of like a cold room. We do, a um, what we call a sweat. So the, the, the cigars have to be in there for about three or four months. So we have somewhere between 350 and 400,000 cigars at any time, finished goods, made in the in the in the uh factory um but as soon as they hit that 12 16 weeks we put them pull them out the package and then they go to austin and they're kind of already sold but you know our sales guys they have visibility to what was made this week and they know that what was made this week is going to be be available to sell in four months so what happens is is they can sell into the forward-looking inventory and you know, frankly, when when you make a cigar, let's say like, a, it's like buying futures on the commodities exchange. <laughs> oh yeah, hundred percent. Well, a lot of people don't realize when you bring a cigar in, the cost of that cigar goes up by about fifty percent. Let's say a cigar costs you X to make, uh, even with the the factory uh, profit. As soon as you bring in the United States, you have to pay the the excise tax, you have to pay the freight, you have to pay all the broker. So once all that stuff comes in, you automatically have increased, you know, the amount of cash you have tied up in inventory by by fifty percent. So um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. To, we do air freight, so you know, if we did, you know, mm-hmm. if we did containers, we don't, we would only have two or three containers a a, a year, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, we 
we do air freight at, we were very, very good at it. I mean, one of the things that I did at Dell was supply chain and logistics. So I, we understand this really, really, really well. And we've taken pennies here, pennies there, pennies there. So, you know, um, it doesn't make a lot of sense to carry a lot of inventory in the States. Have you, have you really, really, <laughs> really? Paul, speak up a little bit. I'm just waiting for us to get to where we can talk about beer, but go ahead. Oh, that's Adam. Wait, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. what, what? Hold uh, on. Wait, hold on, hold on. So, mm-hmm. so let me just ask this question. I, and, and this is me being a novice, being like outside the industry, really. So when you said you don't do a cold room, so many of the manufacturers, what they, or from what we understand, from what I understand, all the manufacturers have to do a slow cooling process of their cigars and then and then bring it back down to room temperature in order to ship it to the states. Is that not a requirement? Well, you're talking about two different things. Okay, so, that's why. Okay. Yeah. So so whenever let's assume everyone uses properly fermented tobacco, right? Not going to so Right, so let's assume that the tobacco is ready to to smoke the the day you make the cigar, right? The only reason why it sits in the aging room is to normalize the humidity across the entire cigar. So you have to wet the wrapper. You have to wet the binder. You have to super dry the filler to make a cigar. So when you make a cigar, you have a really wet outside and a really dry inside. Right. So you have to put it into a room to to normalize the humidity in that cigar. And usually the way that that's done is it's done in an air-conditioned room because the air conditioning – the, the coolness and the, the 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 natural dehumidification that happens with air conditioning, yep. it sucks the humidity out of the cigar, but it does it in a way in the cool in the cool temperature where it happens fairly quickly. So a lot of cigars from the day it leaves the rolling table to the to the day it goes into a box could be three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, uh, okay. six six weeks on the outside. You know, some people will tell you they keep cigars in their aging room for years before they ship them, and that's usually because they can't sell them, mm-hmm. or because uh, they're just, they're they're crazy like the guy from Atabay, right? But um, most most factories move them into a cold room because it's just time is money and it's a lot more efficient. Mm-hmm. We we don't do it that way for a number of reasons, but um, the way we do it is we use the natural um, kind of ambient temperature. And the ambient, the wood and other things to suck the humidity out in a, in a so slower way. So it does way. the same thing, just takes a longer period of time. Is the, the, and you feel the end product justifies this amount of time that you take? I've done it both ways. I think, to me, um, off-gassing that happens in the sweating process, um, it, 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 may, it, it makes a big difference to me. Um, but, you know, like, for example, Padron, who, uh, you know, I have a weekly box of number nines, you know, a weekly box of Hermoso. So I buy a lot of Padron myself. Um, Arlen's sister works at Padron. Arlen's parents worked at Padron for 30-something. In fact, when Orlando Padron had to leave the country, Arlen's family lived in Orlando Padron's house for 14 years so nobody would steal it. That's how close they are with the Padrones. Oh, wow. So, so, but the Padrones will go on a 1926 number nine, you know, I don't want to speak out of school, but it goes from the rolling table to a box pretty quickly, but it tastes perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. And that's what, 
because of the way it's made. That's the way it's always been made. For me, when, when I smoke our cigars, um, if it was in Ecuador or Connecticut or something, it probably doesn't make a big difference. But like with the heavy tobaccos like San Andreas and Broadleaf, um, it makes a big difference. And with Atapadaca, it makes a huge difference. Okay. Excellent. So now you want to get back to beer. <laughs> no, you know, we have uh, in our headquarters, we have like four or 5,000 bottles of beer. I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> no. I don't know if you've um, ever seen the pictures from our headquarters, but we have uh, all no. of beer. <laughs> yeah. So we uh, we consume a lot of beer, but recently it's been Mike's been on a bourbon mm-hmm. uh, buying thing. Once so. again, you have my full attention. Please, <laughs> right, so that's, please I was excited detail. to come talk about beer. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Bourbon, beer. These are my two big things. Please continue. Yes, you have my full attention. Adam's been drinking this morning. What kind of beer do you sell at your uh, stores, Abe? Uh, we have a rotating taps in the Boynton Beach location that I try to make sure we do a good job of rotating. Uh, we try to keep at least one IPA, uh, one bourbon barrel aged. Uh, yeah, we have a lot of things. We have uh, some lights. They get some really good. They get some really good. Um, Craft selections from from local. Like, Try our best, yeah. From micro. Do you do stuff here. out of the bottle? Uh, yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. But yeah. not necessarily on the craft side as much as on the draft side. Okay. Mm-hmm. But we, yeah, we, we we have a lot of beer guys on the show too. Oh yeah. Yeah, we have a t- we have a tap also in the office. Um, we we get those little mini kegs. The oh yeah. Kegs. And there's a there's a place close to us that does really good kind of trades like there's local stuff that people kind of in michigan and california and other people can't get so they trade these mini kegs and um they're pretty expensive i mean we're paying a premium but um we have some we always have some really interesting stuff Mm -hmm. now you're you're putting together some kind of trip to come down to your factory for consumers yeah no we're not really set up for um for that but what we are doing is uh, texas it's in texas Yeah, we're doing a Weasel Fest. Uh, it was supposed to be May 23rd. Uh, we actually had to move it to September. So we've been meet- So when we very first started, we would get all of our kind of followers and friends and everything together once a year. We called it Cro-Magnon Culture. We did it for like our first two or three years. Mm-hmm. But then we got so big and there were so many people, there's no way we could schedule it, right? So um, this, is, this being our 10th anniversary um, – we decided, hey, we're definitely going to do something because, you know, um, we're, we're not going to do the party at the trade show, but we are going to do something for where consumers and other people can come. And so we're doing a really big uh, kind of event. We have a, it's like a three day thing. Uh, it's kind of like a music festival, barbecue, Tex-Mex, craft beer, uh, whiskey. Uh, so, so like our headliner is Scarface from the Ghetto Boys. What? Yeah, and then we have um, uh, three other, you know, third root, uh, um, and you know, a, a band here locally that's really big called Superphonica, and then we have our DJ from from Hot 97 in Las Vegas coming to MC it. Um, we have some people there, friends of ours, Jeremy Piven. Um, my, wait, probably, what? Yeah, I mean, so there's guys. Okay, wait, wait, hold on. How do you have contacts to Jeremy Piven? Let's so go we back have, to that. We have a lot of we have a lot of uh, so there's a shop in in LA called V Cut 
Yeah. And there's a lot of these kind of Hollywood guys, co- comedians, actors, and stuff that are you know big Roma guys. Mm-hmm. So and Jeremy Piven is a big Roma guy. Yeah, yeah. He he messages me like weekly. And um, <laughs> Adam is, Starstruck. I'm sorry. No, no. I'm sorry. You know, I'll tell you. I'll tell you who the most famous Cro-Magnon smoker is that you Ooh. don't. You know this guy on Instagram, uh, Dan. Blazarian or whatever. Oh, Dan Balzarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Poker yeah. player slash yeah billionaire guy who yeah. hangs out with models all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He buys like four or five boxes of Cro-Magnons a week. Wow. So, so we we were like, uh, how come you never take pictures on your Instagram? He's got like thirty million Instagram followers or something. Yeah. Like, well, if you pay me, I'll do it. <laughs> I said, you pay me for the cigars. I'll be happy with that. No. <laughs> Are you doing this in conjunction with a retailer, or is this just strictly through Romacraft? So um, our local retailer, Habana House, is actually going to have a table so that if people want to buy Romacraft products at the event, be able to buy them through our local retailer. But uh, part of the ticket sales is going to be kind of a special box of cigars for our 10th anniversary, um, which will which will come with the tickets. But we're spending about 200 and something, 200 and the budget is two hundred and twenty thousand, which means I'll probably spend more than that. But um, if you add up the total value of all the three hundred tickets, it's only like seventy five thousand dollars or something. So, um, you know, the, really the 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 cigars coming with the uh, the tickets are really the way we're kind of funding the thing. But it should be a great time. We're gonna have um, two hundred fifty three hundred people here and music and. As long as we're not quarantined in September, it'll be uh, it'll be great. And hopefully not social distancing between everybody. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, hopefully not. I, I, you know, I'm, I, I don't know if I'll be shaking many hands, but yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm a little curious to see how long before any kind of gatherings like that even become doable. I mean, I don't see a stadium game or concert happening for a long time. Well. They, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, Abe. So, I, you know, I used to work in minor league baseball. And the team that I used to work for, as of now, they're planning to have fans in the, in the stadium in June. They haven't set a date yet. The county in New York is, is working with them. But their plan is to only sell 25% of their capacity so that there's like three seats between each person. Something yeah, let me let, let me let me give you some news. Mm. This 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 country runs on money. Oh yeah. And at the at the end of the day, they're willing to to sacrifice a few geezers and sick people, and <laughs> they're going to go back to normal. I'm not saying everybody like me and Abe are going to rush out to go do these things. I think there's going to be a demand problem, but there's not going to be a supply a supply problem. People are going to want to get back to. Uh, to making money as fast as possible. This thing will kind of peter off over the summer. People will forget it ever happened. And when people start getting sick again, they're gonna, they're not going to want to hear it. Right, in the uh-huh. winter. Yeah. That's that's the fear. And the same thing with theme parks. You know, here in Florida, they they sat down with a task force for, for all the theme parks. We were talking about this last week with Disney, Universal. And they'll be leaving it up to the theme parks, Abe from the news that I've read this week to decide well, when to open, but they have so to think, open at 25% capacity. So think about 9-11, right? 
the TSA is security theater, right? Let's be honest. It's right. security it gives, you the, it gives you it gives you the the appearance of safety. Right. So what'll happen is we will have we will have health theater, right? So there'll be Safe, all these you know wear the mask. Theater. Safety yeah, safety theater. theater. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll have wear the mask, stay five feet away, and that that's that's what we'll have. And at the end of the day, it's all about. I mean, look, you notice the, the stock market has had had the biggest month in ten years this month in April. From where we started in, at the end of uh, March to the end of April was the biggest growth month. In like 10 years for the stock market, the stock market is doing perfectly fine because they know we're getting back to normal really fast. No matter, I mean, if people die, people die. That's well, what people, people die every day. I just, right. I just yeah. had my godmother's son just drop dead at 39. Oh, heart, wow. attack, heart attack, four kids. But so people drop dead die, every you're day. You're gonna die. I don't. I just don't want to die because the hospital I went to didn't have any respirators or whatever, right? Well, what about that? So, I mean, I know we want to get off this subject, but just quick. They're giving, Can't help it. They're giving uh, Cuomo in New York a hard time for ordering too many beds, for, for having too many respirators. I think there was a, a, a genuine fear in, in New York, in New York City especially, that they would have an Italy situation there quite quickly. That's that's what everybody thought, right? Like, it's and if we hadn't done what we did, maybe they could have gotten to that point. But look. You know, everybody makes a big deal about the ship going up there and then not one single patient getting on it and the ship right. leaves. Look, it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it, right? I mean, I, so. I follow that in my in my everyday life, right? I mean, it's, it's better to have have a little safety net you know, with people that are losing their jobs. I ended up being fortunate during this whole thing. But, you know, if, if having a safety net of, of cash flow and, and you know, uh, not needing it is way better than needing it and not having it. And I, I was kind of trying to think of it that way. But he's getting a lot of criticism for, for asking for too much, which I think is kind of ludicrous in my opinion. Well, I, I mean, I think there's some truth to the fact that he kind of overplayed it in order to politicize it. But look, man. That's what that's what they're going to do. They all do it. So, you know, I, I don't think, you know, fear is only a fear. Who's is a got normal the birds? Thing. Who's got the birds? In the that's back? me. Hold on. Let me mute that. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I'm Snow White over fear here. Fear is a normal thing. <laughs> there's a lot of situations where fear is what keeps you alive. Right. Yeah. But there's also a rational fear. If there's nothing you can do about it, there's nothing you can do about it. Right. Well, like, so I'm not good. afraid of guns. I respect guns. But I don't want a gun pointed at me. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's you know it's 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 not irrational to be afraid of getting killed by a gun, being held by an idiot, an idiot right? <laughs> There's a lot of stupid people in the world. You know, like the guy on the airplane I was telling you about. But is there any real concern for you? A lot of consumers are are still, you know, nervous about when things get back to normal, if they get back to whatever normal is going to be about shortages of their, their favorite cigars. Skip's a, already got shortages. It's I really, was going to say. It's not so going to change that, his business model at all. If, if, yeah, if, for, for us, for us, what it really means is it's just more back orders, right? But, um, you know, you, you got to think about it this way. Um, a lot of the factories were kind of heavy on, on inventory anyway. That's why they were letting people go. That's why they were cutting people back. So in, in a weird way, 
even though they probably didn't like ha- kind of having um, you know this out of their control. I mean, there's probably certainly things that 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 they could be selling, um, you know, or making that would sell. But I think in some ways, um, you know, a lot of consumers kind of went through some of their own kind of back inventory. So um, and then they a lot of them ordered uh, from from CI and and or in these other guys and um, you know think um i think there's gonna be some places that are that are behind you know the, the funny thing about cigar business is, is some in someone who has problems is, is always going to figure out a way to blame it on this right so um so some of that's going to be true and some of it's just going to be a guy covering up for the fact that he has problems right right but so I don't, skip i, I don't have a question you know. now since yeah. uh we're at the beginning of may and now and July is almost like a month and a half away as you finish yeah. your orange juice there. Did you have a bunch of stuff ready for the PCA? And what do you think about the PCA coming forward? And what are you working on or doing to try to prep for the PCA if in or it doesn't happen? So I think we've kind of already made the decision, you know, the kind of no-go decision mm-hmm. because we're too close to it to – to, to really do all the things we would have to do. Um, you know, plus, like I said, you know, these cigars that we, we made in April would have been selling in July. Right. And normally when we go to the trade show, we sell July, August, September's inventory. Mm-hmm. And if we went to the trade show now, we would be selling, you know, October, November, December's inventory. So um, for us, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to go in terms of, you know, generating orders. Mm-hmm. You know, if there is a trade show, we'll probably do the TPE, have a little booth so we can sit down and meet with people. But to be honest with you, I think it's the, January if you're talking TPE. No, I was saying like TPE, like, like having okay, a small okay, space. Okay, like TPE. Yeah. Okay. Do you think they're going to go my, with uh, the trade my show? My guess is that the I, – I think that they really need the money from the trade show, and I think that they've got a lot of people put money already down that they've used. So it's not an easy decision to, to say, but they have, you know, they have reserves. They have an endowment, so or not an endowment, but they have uh, cash. Um, I guess is if they can figure out, they're probably working with the Venetian right now mm-hmm. to figure out how to get out of their contract. You know, if you think about it, all these conventions that are that got canceled. Some of those people still want to have those conventions, so it's it's very possible that they'll give our slot at the Sands to someone else and and penalize us. So I don't know. Uh, I'm not on the board of the PCA. I don't really I'm not, I don't really know anything about what's going on. Um, but you know, the end, you know, kind of to sum it all up, it probably wouldn't be a bad thing for them to have a full year to really reinvent the trade show for next year. And I feel like that's the thing we've been saying for like four weeks. Yeah, that, that, that's been my position. Now, we had Dion. I had Dion in our virtual lounge the other night, and he was saying the same thing you were saying, that if they end up do having a show, he, was, he wasn't going to go if they held him to his current setup, but if they would allow him to do a TPE-style booth, shrink his booth space down so he could lower his costs of going, that Dion would go. My question is, I don't know how many retailers are going to go, because I was actually slotted to go. I had airline tickets and hotel reservations done. I booked there, it myself. Yeah, there's no way I'm going to Vegas in July. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the the Venetian released like their requirements for 
you know, social distancing and all that, and it's 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 unmanageable. I mean, all what's right. the point? Joining of us now, uh, Vegas, if you can't hang out uh, far. William Cooper. Oh, we got Coop. Oh. oh. Well, so Coop, is, 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 what's happening, buddy? Talking about hey, what's this, going on, guys? To bring him on, and he brought the fireplace in as requested. <laughs> we have a fireplace, wow. but yeah. we have no fire. So, Coop, how old is the chair you're currently sitting in? It's about 15 years old. This isn't that old. Oh, okay. It's made to look old. It looks a little older, but it's uh, a little older. Yeah, it, it, uh, it. When we bought the house, it came with it. That's a that's that's a size. I think Abe and I could fit in that chair. Yeah, not yeah. together, but maybe. Yeah, yes, you could. I that, like that, that you're. I see your socks there. There you so go. Yeah, very casual full, today. Full comfort. Absolutely. Yeah, that chair looks like it's just about right for me. I'm wearing pants too, so people. Uh, yeah. That's always a big Well done on the pants, yeah. Coop. Yeah, well yeah. done. Congratulations on the pants. I haven't worn pants or shoes in in like four weeks, and <laughs> unless I have to run out. I have done shopping, but Coop, you haven't even, you literally have not left your house in weeks, right? Since St. Patrick's Day, but I am leaving the house Monday. I have to leave oh, the house. Wow. So, yeah, the quarantine has ended on Monday, yeah. Mm. So, which, means you your, work? which means your boss told you to get back to work? No, no, because we, 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 I work at home no matter what, but, um, <laughs> but um, actually, I have to go uh, into for a medical appointment. I have to actually go in somewhere, so. Oh, okay. And it's nothing serious, but I, it, they are taking me in the office for that one. Mm-hmm. Are they going to check your cholesterol? Yes. No. Oh, <laughs> dude. It, it, it's blood work. That's why. Hey, we should take a bet right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you a question. When's the last time you checked that cholesterol? Um, Probably about two or three months ago. I don't remember what oh, it is. Two or three they, months they didn't ago. give me an alert. Ah! I said that long ago. Was it over 230? No. I don't remember oh, what it was though. Well, there's two there's two cholesterol numbers, right? Well, yeah. you the HDL, right, the one yeah. is your good cholesterol, yeah. and one's the bad cholesterol. My good cholesterol tends to be lower. Is the problem? <laughs> oh no. Well, that's that's controlled by activity. Mine's low too. Yeah, which I have none yet. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think cholesterol is genetic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know if you got if if Coop went on a treadmill for three years. I bet his good cholesterol would go up. I could. I mean, I'm doing laps around the, the property here, so I guess I can. <laughs> do, do you have like Do you have like a gazebo outside the back too? Actually, no. The the one area of this house that just is not like set up is the backyard. Is just a, is just kind of bland. Um, <laughs> the way it is, yeah. It's it's been a project we just put off. Put a gazebo out there. Come on. We've yeah, we've talked about. We actually talked about that or a screen a screen thing. Mm-hmm. Just go do it. Go do it. Yeah, you so have my permission. Go do. Go put a gazebo out there. Yeah, do, you, do you have guest rooms there? Like, if we come to to North Carolina, <laughs> would we be able to stay there? Well, yeah. I mean, I have four kids, but you know, two of them. Like, we're starting to become empty nesters, so there are additional rooms. Uh, one one of the empty bedrooms is like my cigar storage room now. So <laughs> someone can really luck out if they get that if they draw to store for that room. How many cigars are in that storage room ballpark at Formy Coop? Oh, I don't know a lot. Come on, ballpark. That's probably a, cu- a couple thousand. Oh wow! It's all about free samples, right? Yeah, the problem is most of them are from cigar makers who couldn't give them away, <laughs> <laughs> or are not business anymore. <laughs> right. It's true. All right. So, previous year top ten went top ten list uh, that are out of business now. 
Yeah. Ooh, wow. Skip throwing. No, 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 no. Wow. We've had a conversation about this, actually. It's very true. You know, a lot of these, we've done these lists, myself included, and how many brands are gone or companies are gone. It's it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Coop, there was a one big story that came out this week. Uh, Do we want to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, let's talk about it. Uh, All right. Go right ahead. So the, the long-awaited uh, sale of Imperial's premium cigar business happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, the news broke like early Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what happened is there were two equity groups uh, that were positioned. Hold on, Coop. Hold on. Hey, Snow White, mute your phone. <laughs> there, yeah, Snow it's White. Song of, it's the song of the South. Yeah, uh, mute, you, the, mute the birds. Added. Hit the mute button. <laughs> Go ahead, Paul. Zippity doo dah. Really? Go ahead, I mean, Coop. Go ahead, Coop. God. Go ahead. So there were two equity groups that purchased the premium cigar business. One was a group called Gemstone that bought the U.S. business. One was a group called Allied Cigar Company that bought the rest of the world business. That rest of the world business included the uh, 50% stake in Habanos, as well as the Florida Capon and Tobacco de Garcia factories right now. So there's a lot of ways we can kind of slice and dice this. Um, if you're if you're working for like t- the Imperial brands, you know Altidus, you probably it probably could have been you know it's not a bad scenario in a way because you're being you're being, you're not being bought by let's say STG, which is going to take you and probably disband you. You're probably going to have your job for at least some period of time, which is good. Um, so I mean from that that perspective, I think. They, you know, there's some positives with that. Um, there's a lot of talk of, you know, because both groups are anonymous, whether it's one group or or not. Um, I, I have a strong reason to believe that may be true, that there's one group behind, there's one behind both those equity groups that bought it. So I think we're going to have to wait and see on that. So ne- neither one of these holding companies existed before, right? They were created specifically as vehicles to hold these different parts of the company, right? Right, that's what that's what, and we, and, and we yeah. don't know. We don't. It could be some Chinese private equity behind one or both. It could be another. It could be Scandinavia behind you know private money from Scandinavia behind one or both. Right. We we, 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 we just don't know. We don't know. Um, there's some speculation out there that um, it could be the group that that uh, the person behind these groups could be the group that Charlie was one of the people who reported on. There's some speculation that's still them. Uh, there's, a, there's at least one, one publication that's reported that, like a Spanish publication. But again, we don't know how true that is or not. Huh. Interesting and also fascinating at the same time. We'll definitely have to see. But they also missed their overall valuation, what they wanted, which was the biggest point. Oh, that was expected. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that was- that's expected in any. They yeah, wanted I, I, two million, two billion, but they definitely did, they didn't miss. They missed it, that. It actually sold for more than I. I had thought it was going to be about one point two billion, and it ended up being about one point three and a half. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I think they did better than they. I, they did better on the Habano side than I then. So the whole deal was a little bit better. Yeah, it, like I said, they originally were hoping to bring $2 billion back in. Um, at the same time, they did manage to get this sale done during a, like a down point of the economic piece. So you could look at it like that, too. But you, So it's expected it was going to be down. But I, 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 thought, I was agreeing with Skip. I thought it was going to be 1.1, 1.2, actually, when it was all said and done. Because that's, that's about 10 times earnings. So. Yeah, yeah. 10 times earnings is about right for 
I mean, there's been businesses that have sold in our industry for 15, 20, rumored to have sold for 15 or 20 times earnings, and some that have sold for four to six times earnings, but 10 is probably about right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to go through a regulatory review now, which is what happens with these types of transactions that will probably take five to six months. So it's going to be business as usual. It has to be business as usual to the, to the degree it could be until then. And um, then you'll start to see, I guess, what happens when the new management comes in. So, Coop, when was the last time that fireplace was uh, on fire? Like a couple of months ago. It, the, the, it's a gas one. It needs a stop working I have to get uh, okay yeah you gotta but, get a gas guy in there but okay. now but now i'm not gonna I, now it's not it was a priority to get a gas guy in here right now absolutely not yeah yep. not. okay yep. yeah, yeah I, that... I wasn't gonna do i'm not you know me i'm not gonna do a firewood obviously. <laughs> <laughs> i gotta do easy buttons so because adam's very concerned about the when the fireplace was last <laughs> yeah. i know well, listen we talked last week about he wanted it we wanted to have him on with a fireplace and now he's the fireplace i'm like so when was the last time the fireplace was lit no, it, it, it is. I like I like using it. It's just yeah, it just wasn't a lit there. Yeah. So, Coop, what about the the trade show? Any more news information? I know you don't do uh, rumors or teasers, but do you do you have a feeling with, about what they're gonna do? I still think they're gonna cancel the trade show. I think when all is said and done, and we I know the PCA gets a share of criticism, but there's still some smart people. There's people who know this business. There's people who know that people are suffering in this business right now. It's very tough. I want to think that cooler heads prevail and they, and they 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 cancel it. I I know that Charlie got a quote from uh, Scott Pierce this week saying that the trade show was on, and a lot of people took it as verbatim. I kind of took it a little differently. I said I think they haven't made a decision to cancel it yet that they're willing to talk about. I would have given a no comment in that case. I think it would have been better if he gave a no comment. Um, I don't. I don't. I mean, I can't. If they like Skip was just talking about it a few minutes ago, I can't see how you have a trade show operating under the conditions that the Venetians at least going to operate under. Which, which you so, did, wrote an article about. You you posted an, an article on Cigar Coop yeah. about the the new regulations at the Venetian. Right, and we don't know when those regulations are going to go into effect. Is the big question. Like they, like Vegas, could, they could say maybe these go into effect August first, and then that gets the PCA off the hook. I just think the PCA is playing a little bit. They're playing it too close right now. We're getting into a, a period of time where I think you have to just tell your industry what you're doing about this event. Well, um, I think I think it has to do with con- contracts, uh, Coop. I think it has to do with you've collected de- non-refundable deposits for space. Yeah. And you have a contract with the with the Sands Expo Center that you you have contracted. You can't get out of it legally. Yeah. So there's both sides of the income and and the and the expenditures. Where if if I think my assumption would be they have to keep saying yes until the Venetian lets them out of their contract, and then they're going to try to work some way to where they they don't have to, to give all the money back on the deposits. I mean for for us for us. What we would say is, look, just keep the deposits, and and you know, you guys need the money more than we do, and you know, let's let's put it keep, towards the towards the regulatory fight, keep, right? Keep keep the deposits in lieu of next year's deposits. No, I would just say keep the deposit. I mean, the the, the twenty six thousand you spend for your boot space is, is a is a drop in the bucket compared to the hundred and fifty two hundred thousand you have to spend at the show, right? So I would just say keep keep the twenty six thousand and. Uh, Put it towards, you know, 
fighting the FDA and, and, and let's keep it moving. Um, I'm sure there are some companies that would want their money back, but uh, yeah, I'm sure. Did you put a deposit down? Would you like your money back? He just said no. What's the matter with yeah, you? Yeah, he just no, said I, no. I would, ha- I would have them keep it. Will you it. mute him, I please? Have- <laughs> Fine, I will mute myself. Thank you. No, that's a good question. I mean, I would I would just have – me personally, I would have them keep it because it's like, you know, you know, here's the – you know, we don't want you to have to give us money back and be out money on at the same time. So, um, you know, in fact, I kind of feel like if, if, if what they – if you know, if they could give us a dollar amount, Abe, I think you said this a couple of months ago. If you just said, hey, you know, give us a dollar amount of, of how much you need from us for this fight, that is, a, that is a fair amount. Let's not go through the whole pretend show of creating this huge uh, oversized convention just to collect the money. Let's have smaller booths. Let's have more intimate. Let's do better, smarter things. I've and, said it. I've said from day one, small, the smaller show is, makes for a better show. Yeah, and then you just tell me what you think my fair share is. You know, if Rocky Patel makes ten times more revenue than I do, and and and, and you know, I pay one tenth the amount that Rocky Patel does, then I think that's a fair amount, right? You know, it's you know, it's funny though. You know, you'd see happen is all these guys who brag how many millions of dollars and. They do in business a year, and how many sticks they sell a year? All of a sudden, we'll have the reverse story. Oh no, right. no, we're barely selling cigars. <laughs> it would right. switch, it would well, I mean, overnight. Guys like, guys like Rocky have put hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars into it anyway. And, but in time, and effort, and right. flying, and I mean, like, he's one of the most active guys out there. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, but for me, you know, I've always said the PCA is my organization. The CRA is for consumers. The you know, for me, the 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 PC, IPCPR RTDA whatever you want to call it is the organization that f- is doing the work that I need done as right. a trade organization. So um, I have no problem doing my fair share. Well, I think that's one of the things about the, the you said the CRA is a consumer organization. I think that's one of the things they're trying to work on making it better of a consumer organization. Um, I've been on two phone calls in the last two weeks with uh, Glenn and a lot of guys from the industry. Uh, to try to see how we could better make that a consumer organization because honestly it's been currently just currently running as a manufacturer a- advocate group right i mean it was completely funded by the manufacturers in the industry it's a manufacturer group well and, exactly and and the pca is as well <laughs> yeah i know well <laughs> let's be honest well that's why that's why you know, we had glenn on i mean look he said he's retiring and there and he mentioned and we all caught it that he's not getting a replacement so I'm predicting there, there's probably going to be a CRA, PCA merger up ahead. What do you think, Coop? Yeah, there's you know there's already a little overlap that you if you watch the PCA over the last year they've started getting involved with like uh, CigarAction.org, which is a, an effort they launched, which is grassroots movement towards um, you know legislation, and it's been aimed not just at retailers but at consumers. So I think that was the beginning right there that you saw that these these organizations are going to start to overlap there. I so, think they do they do overlap in a lot of ways administratively, but let's be you know to being completely honest. The whole reason why CRA exists, if, if we're being completely honest, in my opinion, is so that when you walk into the to into the office of the senator or the House of Representative guy or whatever, when you mark when you walk into Marco Rubio's office or when you walk into Ted Cruz's office, you're not just an industry guy, right? You're there's a guy there who's representing voters, 
Yeah, right. but it's supposed to be hundred, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand no, voters, I agree. not, not twenty thousand, thirty thousand right. voters. I mean, that's, <laughs> I've, that's what I've always, it didn't become. Always said, it didn't become what it's supposed to become. That's the problem. I always said that to Glenn, right? It's like you know, Glenn, I, I love you. I think you know you could be making a lot more money doing this and for some other industry. I knew Glenn when he was doing the Virginia. Um, Chad Chadburn introduced me to him decade ago before he was ever involved with CRA or longer, longer even. And, you know, so this is not a comment about Glenn, but at the end of the day, if the mission of the organization is to ha- is to represent this huge block of consumer voters, then we haven't accomplished that. And that's a measure of success. If you're, that's a key performance indicator, right? If you, if you have to people with the cigars to get a $50 CRE membership, um, it doesn't make any sense, right? They, something's not happening. Either consumers don't give a shit or or we're not being real, as effective as we need to be. But at some point, and maybe that's what the Consumer Day and all the other stuff is about, is so we've got to figure out some way to get um, consumers legitimately involved in, in, in the fight, right? I mean, vape, I, you know, I, I don't want to go too far in the weeds on this, but – you know, Donald Trump was really – he's not a smoker. He's not a whatever, but he was really – had no issue with banning vape. He didn't like it. He didn't, he didn't think it was – you know, yeah, sure, do that. The second all that vape stuff happened, he found out really fast how many – you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people were big vape supporters. Yep. And he heard it, and he immediately changed his tune in terms of, well, you know, why did we do that, you know, and then reversed it. As fast as he could possibly put, because there is a huge community of consumers in the vape side, and we just don't have that on our side. No, no, and we we definitely don't have a an organized voice for that on our side at all. I mean, I so. think sorry, you know, didn't do a bad job, didn't do a good job, but at the end of the day, it, it was really, you know, a front for you know the the what 10 or 12 manufacturers really wanted to happen. So, well, I, I don't think it, I don't think it happened that way on purpose. I think it just no, naturally no, I, happened because right. you got, you look, Glenn's got to get paid. People who work there got to get paid. There's lobbyists who got to get hired. And if you can't get, you can't get cigar people to want to fork over 30 bucks a year right. to, to represent their industry. We're in trouble. Well, you know, when this all started in 2016, um, or actually it goes back a little bit further than that. We were talking about the S-chip, but um, I really early on went to Robbie. I went to Rocky. I went to um, a number of different people, and I said, look, I learned this from the smoking battle. I, you know, I'm not saying I want to give up. I'm not saying I don't believe in freedom. I don't. It's not that I don't believe in liberty, but we are going to be regulated. We've known – since the, I've known since the day I got involved in the cigar industry that we were going to be regulated. What I want is regulation light. Let's get something we can live with. Let's get lighter regulations for cigars. Let's make sure they understand who we are. Let's get a database together of predicate products. Let's get a very simple SE application that we can submit and live with, and let's just keep it moving. And we, we spun our wheels and spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, fighting, you know, socialism sucks, cigars don't. For you know, for for when we're right back where I said four years ago, which was regulation light, is what we would love to get at this point. And I wish we would have started there. 
well, we'll you know we'll see what happens. But I I, I know the CRA is working heavily and to come up with some new concepts and and new ways to to get new messaging out there to try to inspire some of these guys to support it and be, let it hopefully become a more consumer driven organization, hey, which I really hey, think it needs to be. Abe, how are they going to do that without an executive director that they're not even looking at hiring right now? Um, I mean, that, that's that's a big effort, and they need well, someone to steer that ship. We don't know what the entity is going to end up after Glenn leaves. So all I'm it, just telling you is conceptually what they're trying to do. And, and Glenn's still – Glenn's work. you know, he's not being a lame duck. No, you know. no, definitely not. Yeah, he's still working it hard. And, I mean, I know we just had a two-hour-plus phone call yesterday. So he's still didn't working you guys, Didn't you guys nominate Herklotz for that job? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not I, a bad idea. I think he'd be great, but yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, who wants, you know, who wants that job? Jeez. You didn't <laughs> want the job. That's definitely for sure. Yeah. That's hey, tough. Coop, so they asked me earlier, if you don't mind me asking you a question. Um, sure. They asked me earlier about, about how the, the, this month off or the closures at the factories was going to, was going to impl- impact, um, supply right so you know i my feeling is is that understanding the way it works from beginning to end that there's probably there's probably gonna be a lower demand and there's probably not going to be a lot of excess uh supply but i don't think there's gonna be any big shortages have you heard anything different than that or do you have a different opinion on that um in fact i was on dojo so last night and this exact thing came up and i pretty much said the same thing. I don't think we're people are going to have problems getting cigars. They may have a problem getting a particular, like you said earlier, something that's a little more limited. Yeah, that may be backordered and things like that. But I think in general, um, most most cigars are going to be accessible to people. I don't, I don't, I don't but again, the, the demand has gone down. That's for sure. Well, I tell you what, I, I, I'm already, we've been getting, you know, our mail order has gone up significantly, of course, because a lot of brick and mortars are closed and people are looking for you know reputable places to buy cigars if they normally haven't been buying cigars online but orders that we've been getting all week have been back orders i've had a lot of back way above normal back orders on them so yeah i don't i don't i think that's a delay of it coming out of the the origin country i don't think that's a problem yeah it could be because they yeah they shut down and they weren't coming out for a while so that could be part of the problem i mean when you when you should when you send all the packing ladies home you can't fill a container unless someone's packing the cigars, right? Right. right. Abe has. I don't know. You haven't done curbside, have you? When we closed, our version of curbside. Because look, I mean, look. Whether it's curbside at the curb or curbside at the register, there's still a transaction that's got to happen. I need to hand somebody something, and somebody's got to hand me something. Yeah. For the most part, whether it's money, whether it's whatever. There's a transaction that happens. So our version of curbside is you can come into our shop, you stand at the register, you tell our, you know, tobacconists what you want. They go and get it. They bring it. They sell it to you, hand it to you. You walk out the door. They disinfect the area down. Next customer. So that's how we were operating up until the day we closed. And when we open up, that's the format in which we'll be operating again. Yeah, I um, I haven't, but I've seen definitely curbside is not uh a method of choice for most people is what I'm saying. I'm thinking that uh, I'll tell you straight out. There's retailers that I bought from um, where I just said, mail me the cigars. If you, I'll do, I'll give you the business, but I don't care if you have to I pay for it. Mail me the cigars. I, I don't really, I'm not supposed to be going out. So, right. you, you know, know what, I, Paul, I just haven't seen that. The there's a percentage that people just want to get out. 
Yeah. I mean, I we've agree. been closed here. I, but yeah. You know, you've been to my store. It's all glass in the front. Right. They're walking up every day. There's, there's people. There's, there's people getting lawn chairs and meeting in the yeah. parking lots of Sarasota. That, 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 that is true. you're outside. They'll yeah. walk past five from from our back door. See, curbside from some of my facilities doesn't work because like. The curbs in the back, the doors in the front, we would never see anybody curbside and going in and out of the back door. Just, But these guys literally from the back door to the front door walk by six, eleven by 17 sides and say we're closed. And they'll still <laughs> walk to the front door because they don't want to believe it. They want to pull on the handle. They can yeah, one of these. They can yeah, one of these. Pull on the handle and see the lock. <laughs> right, so, right, right. That's what it is. But, I mean, look, will, will the brick-and-mortar side ever be what it was? No. I think eventually every – I think eventually every uh, oh look Adam Adam got better looking all of a sudden. Um, I think every retailer is going to have to go back to their landlords. They're going to have to work hey, something out. I, I, I had a I had a I don't think in two months, come sit on my left. Apparently yes. I don't think in two months or three months or six months we're going any brick and mortar is going to be back to where it was, right? And worse if you have a bar. Well, I think I think um, I think there's some look, let's there's some old school guys who've just really resisted doing mail order, who've really resisted doing a website, who've really resisted doing phone orders. I mean, they'll take a phone order to send a, you know, five ounces of pipe tobacco to some guy on the other side of the country. But they don't really want you calling them to, to order cigars. They've never set themselves oh. up to do that. And I think that's a lot of these guys have figured out. You can't just depend yeah. on one, you know, revenue stream. And I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a lot of regional stores that are going to start doing, you know, delivery and and in-town mail and yeah. you know all kinds of different things that they never did before. So the smart ones, Abe, I don't. I think their business may grow. Um, we know uh, just from from the demand and their discussions with Santa Clara and with with CI and these guys, they're growing. They're not they're not losing business. So um, there's some opportunity there. You know, I think there's going to be an overall 20 or 30 percent reduction in demand just because look, I mean, 30 something million people are out of work. Mm-hmm. So the people, so some of our smokers are out of work. Some of them are afraid they're going to lose their job That's because an they're they have to let go. Yeah. Right. Right. They'll smoke less, or they'll smoke lower. Uh, you know, qu- uh, price stuff. You know, really high quality, lower price stuff like ours. Then maybe they won't smoke so many sin compromisos or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's what it's going to be. And um, but through this period of time, a lot of these guys who used to smoke, you know, one cigar every couple of days, they've been smoking two, that's three done. cigars a day. Yeah, that's our one of Arlen's favorites. So I like to pick on it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they now they're smoking two or three cigars a day, right? And they're about to head into summer. Well, speaking of time. speaking of picking on, I, I got a small bone I got to pick with you, Skip, before we get off here. So before this thing ends, yes. I want some kind of deal where you end up writing on a do- on a fifty dollar bill. You were right, <laughs> and I was wrong. So so here, so I want to get to that before this is over, but. I don't know if you it's, it's who gets elected president. I don't know if it's a, who wins the the Super Bowl. You know, whatever. But I want to yes. have some fifty dollar deal. See, you're you're, you're misconstrued on how I make these bets, right? I know how you make them. These are random bets. bets. Yeah, usually like, ask Adam. I will this. tell people. No, I will tell people don't bet me. 
Because right, I know. Right. Now, every now and then I'll do a random where I'll say, I'm not sure, but I'm willing to take the chance. But mm-hmm. 90% of those bets, I've advised the better, do not bet me because I know for a fact you're yeah, going to lose. I'll nope, do, nope, nope, okay. don't do it. Nope. I'll do one of these $50 deals. $50 deals that we do not have PCA in July. I, I'm, already, I'm already losing a $5 bet to uh, Carlos Escalona. <laughs> for, I, that, I, for that same thing, right? Yeah, I, I said it was going to happen, and now I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's going to win. That's a bad happen. bet. That's a bad bet. Well, that wasn't one of those bets I said I would know for sure because who knows yeah. for sure. Anyway, most, what were you going to ask me? Sorry. No, I was going to ask you. I, I, got a bo- I got a little bone to pick with you, right? <laughs> uh oh. So, well, it's not a big bone, it's just a little bone, right? We were. I, I was on uh, Aaron and Coop's, one of their Megathon, Telethon hearse <laughs> uh, a couple weeks ago, a week ago or so. And I had been on for like two and a half hours, and I had gotten off. And after I had gotten off, you started talking about me, and you mentioned that I do a disservice to my customers. Now, just so you know. That's somebody- not what I said. First of all, I've never used the word disservice. <laughs> but Ooh. I think what I, I – they asked me They asked me if you sold my cigars. And, I, and you said something about, well, Skip won't sell them to me. He told me to call me. He won't call me. So – I, 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 I know I did not use the word disservice. Oh, we're going to have to look that up, Coop. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I know I didn't. I wasn't on that whole show that night, but I do know that this came up. So I'm trying to remember yeah, what it is. I, I have to go back now and check. Now I got to look because I had my phone blew up that night. <laughs> my phone blew up that I night. I really feel like, you know, if, got, you were do, if you were providing the best possible product to your customers, you would he's gonna say it. He's going to say it right now, right? But here's the thing. I pride myself. I don't go from one store to a chain of stores by not servicing my customers. The I reality of the matter is, is, is it, it's a regional thing, man. I got stuff that doesn't sell. We haven't had a big demand. If there was a big demand. That was, I do remember you saying that part about the demand. Yeah. There was, well, I wasn't on the call. No, this conversation that. happened after hey, I, got I, think I was on it. Yeah. I think Coop. I was on it at that point. Coop. Coop. Yeah. Abe just stopped selling Blanco cigars. So, if you're saying you can't sell more Roma Craft and Blanco cigars, <laughs> then then just just you know just kill me now. But Listen. you know that's not the, look. I what I what I know what I said on that call was it's perfectly okay with me if 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 you want to let Jeff and David Garofalo and those guys make all the money instead of you. That's perfectly fine with me. I'm going to sell all my cigars one way or the other. It doesn't matter. Do I have five or six stores that I would, that I would be cool with letting go so we could open five or six of your stores? Absolutely. But, but you got to talk to Mike about that. Mike me, makes those decisions. But let me ask you a question. Do you, do you, do you, are you one of the guys that believes that his brand sells everywhere? No, I, well, okay. Well, Oh, that's- I think I think that there are cigar smokers everywhere who would buy and enjoy our cigars. I don't think our cigar works in every store. No, I don't think that. Right, because there are. Listen, like I said, I have chains of stores, and I got brands that sell incredibly well. Thirty minutes up the highway, and thirty minutes that brand won't sell at all. Well, you know, I can tell you this: Gary Pesh has been around the business for a long time. And Gary was one of these guys that kind of had this perspective. And, you know, we did a $100,000 one-day event at Gary's store, and he couldn't believe it. You know, there's just – we have, you know, we have guys that love our cigars that have been supporting us for 10 years. And I'm sure there's a lot of them that live in, my, you know, in Palm Beach 
I'm sure Florida. I live in Miami, but I'm about an hour and a half away from Miami. I said Palm Beach. But <laughs> I, think, I think that there's probably, um, you know, stores that, you know, we don't have that many stores in South Florida. You know, Alan at Caribbean, he does really great with our stuff, but he's a small store, you know. Um, where's, where's Caribbean, Miami? Yeah. It's in West, West Miami, like one yeah. of the suburbs. If it's I'm not mistaken, you have a lot on the West Coast as well. Yeah, we do a lot on uh, up and down um, uh, Naples, Fort. Uh, yeah. Uh, look, I feel like this if is you were, the, if you were to get the addresses of of all the people who buy our cigars from all the places they buy them from. They're all over the place. Listen, every brand, every brand has a following and calling. Some better than others. It's just the way it is. I, if you didn't say I did do a disservice, then I'll take my bone back. But that was the message. You can go listen to it. That blew up my phone. I'll take a $50 bill says I did not use the word disservice. Why? It sounds like something you would say. I'm almost I don't think I've ever used the word disservice, but I'm willing to bet $50 on it. I do a disservice to my customers. (laughs) Hmm. A $50 signed bill. Does it got to be? Wait, so let me ask you this because I might be willing to take this bet. (laughs) <laughs> Does it got to be the exact word disservice, or could be just? It would the have to be the it. exact word. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't like. You might have said it, not you. You might have said that he doesn't do right by his customers. That wouldn't count. I I, I would never say that about you. Yeah. All right, well then, I, then 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 I do not have a bone to pick with you. <laughs> God, you had to have a little fun. Skip and I have so much fun on social media. Oh yeah, it, oh yeah. It wouldn't be like I came. I actually came to the store with Frank Carrera, and and, and Abe and I sat and talked for must have been three hours. He sent me pictures of it. You brought him a nice bottle of rum. Too. I still, I, I still have it. It's on my my shelf. <laughs> I still have it. It's on my shelf behind me, right over here. I still have that bottle of rum. It was actually a great <laughs> bottle of rum. We yeah. talked for what about three, four hours? At least, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, listen to me. Look. Skip minimum four hours. I, I'm gonna say it here. Skip's Facebook persona is a lot different than his. It's yeah. actually. I'm exactly <laughs> who I am all the time. Uh, yeah. but you're, you're not Skip. You're way more con- conflict, um, and, and then you are in person. In person, I, now this is like my really second. This show is you sitting in my office is when the second time I've had a, a social setting with you for a lengthy period of time. All right, and there has been. Really zero conflict. We've had good dialogue, but on social media, you're constantly whether it's Mike Bellady, whether it's Jeff Borschwitz. Okay, Mike Bellady is a right wing nutbag. I mean, I love Mike Bellady. <laughs> We're friends, <laughs> but of course, I just don't like. I just don't like. Look, well, it's not I don't even Mike want to Bellady. get into that. We don't, Wait, we don't can I make an announcement? Mike yeah, Bellady go has gotten worse with politics than Skip has ever been. Exactly. Look, look, yeah, he he is overbearing right now. Well, yeah, he's totally, yeah, he's totally. He's, well, he's got a lot of free time on his hands, as we all know. <laughs> <laughs> by, by the way, that's exactly the right point. It, when, when I'm in Nicaragua, I have uh, 10 hours a day to do nothing but argue with people on Facebook. <laughs> Usually when I pick a fight, it's because I got bored. It's, you know, it's Wednesday night in Esteli. There's, there's nothing going on. <laughs> Uh, it's it's Anderson Cooper or Hannity on TV, so the only two things in English. And so oh, I just post, hey, what do you guys think about this new thing? I'm, then, I'm not gonna lie, I've seen Skip Martin's post, and I've literally said to myself, that motherfucker must have been bored because he <laughs> knows he's gonna stir. 
some shit up with this post. I've said that to myself. He yeah, does he post a lot very late, too. I, I Here's what I'll like, say. If Skip, I'm up at, like, 1 a.m. Yeah. Skip at least will do one post. Mike will repeat the same message for three weeks and is convinced that he's actually changed someone's mind. Yeah, he has been super active <laughs> in the in the last two or three and, months. And, and, and here's the other thing. I'm going to be very honest here. This is Skip never. Mike is posting more about politics than his products. I never. Skip's always has his eye on his products every day. Romacraft pick of the day. You know, yeah, I, I'm I mean, embarrassed there's, to there's, say. There's our oh, business side of the thing. Yeah. I probably post more pictures of food, music, and my daughter than I do politics. But I mean, <laughs> there are some pages you go to where it's like, you know, politics, 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 politics. I, I like to maybe once every fifth or sixth post. You know, when I'm bored. Right. <laughs> oh, someone said I should hear you on Call of Duty. Are you a Call of Duty player? Oh, yeah, we have a, a, a cigar clan. It's about 25 people. But that's and, a console game, right? Yeah, I, well, it's, it's a multi-platform, so you could be on a PC, an Xbox, or a PlayStation. But it's not, it's not multi-platform with mobile, right? The mobile version. No, it's not mobile. Yeah, see, I only play the mobile version. Yeah, it's right? a it's a huge time suck, man. <laughs> like I said, I got plenty of time. So, you know, I, I, I go to bed at about five, four or five in the morning. And I get up about 11 or 12. So um, there's a lot of uh, once I get all the work done, there's a lot of free time. So go ahead. No, I was just waiting on you, Paul. No. I So just before we before we wrap up, um, just, just because out of our own curiosity, Skip, are you are you working on new projects currently to 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 roll out, or are you focusing on on your core of blends to to make sure that you keep getting those out to the people that want them during this? Well, Coop can tell you, you know, we don't do new new stuff. I mean, um, Baca that came out last year is the first new thing we did since 2014 when we did Neanderthal. Um, uh, actually, that's not true. We did Wonderless in 2016. So every two or three years, we do something. So, um, you know, we have a project every year that comes out called Craft, um, even though I don't own the uh, trademark. Uh, the brand is called Craft, and we do um, something that's really kind of complicated, um, you know, multiple process thing every year. We've done the La Campanas. We've done, we did last year, we did uh, Lonsdale's. This year, we we're doing the Corona and um, this year it's 1500 boxes to 10 retailers. So every retailer is going to get about 150 boxes. Um, they'll be sold out in an hour or two and then, you know, move them. But, you know, we do little things like that a lot. Um, it never adds up to, you know, more than five or 10% of our total production. Uh, but we have the Baca, uh, Coop will be happy to hear the Baca uh, Grand Corona is coming yeah. out nice. um, in a couple of months. We've got the Craft 2020. Um, we, we've got the, the new Weaselitos, the, the African Cameroon Weaselitos going to Europe. Um, so, um, you know, we have little projects here and there. And then we have our normal kind of annual limited stuff like the Black Irish and the Mastodons. But we don't have any anything really new or special specifically for the only thing really new or special is this Catador de, uh, de las Grand Perfectos that we're doing for our uh, Weasel Fest in September. Okay. Which is an eight count box. I still and, uh, I still have yet to try your cigars, but uh, I'll I'll put Abe on the spot and tell him and 
tell you that he said he really enjoyed them when he saw you. So yeah, and Paul, I, 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 think I, you're I, doing, I, I put it on your media service. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I put it on social media. I like oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I put pictures of me smoking, but me liking a cigar in a format where I could sell it or have customers who want it's two different things. Uh, exactly, you, you've made that. You've mentioned that many times. Well, <laughs> Skip, Listen, we want to thank you. Yeah, thank you yeah, for thank coming you. on. Seriously, it was enjoyable, yeah. and I still want you to come down when we do our studio, and I think that'll be a blast. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to do it. Who do we got on next week, Paul? You have yeah. a book? Next week from uh, Hoya de Nicaragua. Oh. Uh, we have uh, Juan Martinez. Yeah. Oh, Juan Martinez. Okay, that'll be a fantastic show. Uh, Coop, thank you as always. Thank and you guys for thank the you. room you have in your house. Yep. There is a giant lawnmower going by. I'm sure people are hearing from <laughs> my house right now. Um, till then, as always, everybody, keep it lit. Keep it lit, everybody.